The selection process is is really, really key in making sure we, again, are reducing risk because that, that sort of all is relatively connected. Um, acquisition, it's a quality buying process as well. So a lot of this comes into favourable contract conditions. So making sure that uh, we get vacant possession, we get access from unconditional, uh, we potentially could have, you know, a few sentences in our special conditions that can really benefit clients and really start kickstarting their portfolio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash Insider, the auditory epicenter for passionate property investors seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And if you do want to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance, then this episode is the one for you. We're going to be talking today about five key ways to future-proof your property portfolio. And of course, future-proofing your property portfolio is actually the key to long-term ROI and to maximum efficacy to get to your goals. In some of the things we're going to be talking about is increasing equity, managing cash flows, and of course, maximizing your your the entire portfolio. Joining me on today's episode to talk through this topic is Lana Grayson. Lana was last on this uh, podcast back in April of this year where we talked about five tips to invest successfully in the current market. That was a fantastic episode, packed full of value. So Lana, I'm excited to have you back on to dig into this. How are you? I'm good, Goose, and thank you for inviting me back. Well, it's a real pleasure. You have been part of the Dashdot team for a decent amount of time now. You're, you're almost like one of the, we would probably consider you to be one of the OGs. Um, but for those people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background, tell us a little bit, what do you do at Dashdot? You're, you're an acquisition, you're the acquisition manager team lead, but talk to us about that. What does that mean and what do you do? Yes. So I have been at Dashdot for almost three years now, which just seems nuts. Um, three years in April, I think. Uh, but so I am an acquisition manager. I'm one of six. I'm the team lead for the guys. So essentially my job is to purchase the best possible properties for our clients. So executing on their portfolio growth plan, making sure we're in line, we're buying in line with that um, and really trying to get to where they want to be and having the correct purchases in order to do so. Mm, that's pretty awesome because – Correct me. Have I? Let me make sure I've got these numbers correct because I think over the last uh, couple of years, you personally have purchased something like 190 or 200 properties yourself. Is that right? Yes. I I looked at that the other day as well. I was like, bloody hell. Um, I feel like I have a pro- property portfolio of like 200 houses. I don't, but I, I kind of feel like I do. But yeah, it's it's definitely getting up there. Yeah, it's it's definitely getting up there. I think you've purchased close to $80 million worth of property on behalf of our clients over the last couple of years. So the reason I point that out is the stuff we're going to be talking about today, it's not just academic. You know, you've been working with hundreds of clients over the last few years. You've purchased hundreds of properties, nearly $80 million worth of real estate, which is far more than most people are ever going to interact with. Most most property investors, as we know, get stuck at the first property and you've done several hundred, right? And so the reason um, that that is relevant is because the things we're going to be talking about today are things that you have not only observed and ideated on, but actually helped clients to do to maximize their returns on their portfolio. So why don't we get stuck into it? You came to this episode with a bit of a plan. You wanted to talk about five ways to future-proof people's property portfolio. And I'm super interested in that because a lot of people talk about things like, you know, very present moment stuff, how to how to find the latest hotspot or to do that. It's all in the in the now. And what you're actually saying is that is all good. But what you need to think about is the future. So why don't we talk about that? What do you mean by future-proofing your portfolio and what's the kind of first step 
you think about how to future-proof your property portfolio? Yeah, so the way I look at essentially future-proofing is what is that? That's mitigating risk. So how do we reduce risk in a portfolio? Well, I, I, from observing a lot of clients and also overlooking a team as well, uh, that the best way in order to do that is to diversify a portfolio, which is not groundbreaking. Most people that are listening to this would probably agree and know what that means. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into diversifying portfolios. Let's, 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 let's dig into it. Let's, let's start there. Let's, let's just start there and then we'll get to the rest of them um, because there are – I know what they are, but nobody else knows what they are. Let's, let's just go through them one by one. Diversification, you're right, because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, diversification. Yeah, I know what that means. But what do you think it means and how would you explain that to someone? So diversifying based on a plan. So don't just diversify and go, okay, well, I need a property in every state and I'm good. Well, no, you need to diversify a little bit more granular than that. So you need to diversify not only location but in product and also price point. So you're hedging your bets on the market essentially in multiple different ways. Yeah, there's also like another uh, lens to put on that. It's also diversification by um, strategic uh, strategic outcome that you're looking for. So, for example, you know we talk a lot internally about buying either growth-based assets, cash flow-based assets, or balanced assets. And of course, if you only bought growth assets, for example, then you would find yourself getting stuck. You might have bought a growth asset in every state, right? Yay, I'm diversified. But in fact, you're homogenized when it comes to creating a, a strategically diversified portfolio that's going to give you the optimal risk return profile to get you to where you need to go and all of that kind of stuff. And so diversification, as you say, is much more than just geographic because also you can have a property in every state, but if all of them are in um, mining towns, for example, then are you really diversified? <laughs> you know, have you diversified your risk? Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, uh, it's something that most people, yeah, they think they're diversifying, but you need a plan. You need a plan that keeps you on track to make sure you can execute on diversifying correctly. And what's really awesome with most of our clients, they're coming with a portfolio growth plan. So we, and that's part of my job and the, the team that I work with, we keep people to their plan. Because again, yeah, you can buy a house in every state, you can buy a growth asset in every state, but if you've got a decent equity base and you need cash flow, well, that's not going to get you to your goals. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because like anyone can buy a house. Well, I say that very generally, of course, like some people are saying I can't buy a house, but but you know, you can. There are properties that you can buy for less than a hundred thousand dollars, right? So, so within some constraints, you know, you have to have a certain amount of capital and whatever. You can go buy houses, but it's about how do you actually make sure that the houses you're buying are going to be the ones that move you towards your goals. So that's actually the real key, because buying houses, nobody, nobody actually even needs any help to buy a house. Anyone can just just low barriers to entry. Yeah, very low barrier to entry to buy a property. So buying a property isn't the complicated part. It's how do you buy the right properties that are going to be well-suited to your plan that's going to get you to your goals and how do you make sure that you're getting the optimal combination of assets to achieve that goal. Talk to me though about price diversification um, because one of the things that um, people I think could make a mistake here potentially on is saying, okay, well, if I've got a million dollars to spend, should I buy one $1 million house or should I buy $10,000 houses? How would you think about that? So I never like to carve it up directly in the middle. So you, what, what I always like to do is go, hey, let's, let's plan. We've got a million dollars and we've got a budget to work back from, which is awesome. We know what we've got. And how we carve that up doesn't need to be decided right now. 
we can carve that up once we know what we've landed on the first asset. Because there's no point going, right, we're going to buy two $500,000 houses and we're sweet. We'll know because we might see an awesome $650,000 house, which is absolutely fantastic and it's under market value. It's got all this sort of stuff on it, which is very hard to find. But and then it, the balance of that could be a unit. It could be an apartment. It could be a townhouse. And we've got, you know, 350 left to spend. So I don't like to stipulate we're going to buy this property at this time and at this price point. Having a, a plan around what is needed is great. You need a plan to, to dictate what we're going to do and how we're going to execute efficiently and to make sure we find the best asset. But it depends what we land on now that will dictate what we do next with a plan or a guidance in place. I love that. I love I love that way of thinking. It's not about it's not about pre-selecting the the ideas of what you're going to do like we're going to go buy three houses at $333,000. It's about identifying the best possible uh, opportunity that's going to move you to your goals based on your plan then adapting the balance of the plan to to achieve the goals. So to you to your point, you could buy a buy a house and you could buy a, buy an apartment, for example, if that was going to be suited to the plan. I love that. I Correct. love that. And what's really awesome as well about clients that do have portfolio growth plans and it's a product that we do offer, um, a service that we do offer, but it's responsive. So we can say, hey, we've got we need to hit these this these certain criteria are the non-negotiables. We need to hit them to get to the goal in 10, 15, 20 years time. But what we land on now, we might have a little bit higher in terms of a yield return or we might spend a little bit less than what we actually thought. So then that will dictate and tweak the next purchases moving forward, which is which is awesome because it's not an, you know, absolute market of, yep, we're going to buy a house for 500 grand and that's it. And then narrow down your view on it as well. Yeah, totally. I, I, think, I think that this point of diversification is really, really important because there are a lot of people out there who still believe that the only way to successfully invest in real estate is to buy, you know, a blue chip property in Sydney, for example. You could be looking at one or two million dollars, and that's very hard to do to buy a property like that on a two and a half percent yield. Yeah, on a two and a half percent yield. So the likelihood is, even if you could stretch to do that, that's you're probably going to get one property. One is not one is not diversified. To your point, you need to diversify by more than just location, but you need to then, but Owning one property is the, is the pinnacle of undiversified, and so really thinking about okay, how do you build a, a solid portfolio? How do you get the right level of diversification, which is going to be dictated by the individual's needs? But that necessarily probably means that you're going to need to try and buy several properties. Now, I think people get into a good position once they've got three, four, five properties is an ideal kind of number in my point of view because you've got a nice spread in there as long as they're well selected assets. So speaking of assets, what is the kind of next kind of thinking around future-proofing a property portfolio? So having quality assets within that portfolio is key. Now, some clients come to us and they're like, oh, I've already got one or two properties. If I stuffed up, what do I do? I'm like, it's all good. We can fix it later. You've come to us. We can. I actually said the other day, I'm like, maybe we should offer a service about mopping up portfolios. <laughs> fix my, yeah, fix my, it's almost like pimp, pimp my ride, but like pimp yeah. my portfolio or something. Yeah. 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 Fix this mess that has occurred. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's definitely quality assets and there's all, there's, this is where most of the, my experience um, to date is, is hopefully going to be helpful for people. So quality assets um, in a few different sense. So selecting quality assets. So quality asset selection and acquisition is key. So making sure we've got the the best property, the right property, 
uh, which is, you know, looking at a lot of what um, our analyst team does. So they... So, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. What does quality mean? Like quality is quite subjective. So when you say a quality asset, how, how, what do you mean by that? So we look at certain, certain metrics around that. So what would indicate quality? That might be a better way to, to reference it. So uh, finding a property that has really low land supply risk. So you're in more established areas. You're going to have a stronger growth position because you're not going to be diluted by new stock continually coming to the market. So looking at demographic pairing in the area, making sure we're buying a four bedroom family home if we're or in a suburban suburb. We're not yeah, buying so a that, so apartment. So that points that points to the idea that quality is going to be different based on so, the location. Correct. And also based on the portfolio's needs, right? Correct. Yeah. So so quality is 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 a really interesting idea because it's not binary. It's not like a quality property must be no older than five years old, must be on a six hundred square meter block, and you know uh, that doesn't. That's not the definition of quality. The definition of quality is going to be specifically subjective based on the environ that it is in, and also the needs of the portfolio. Because as we discovered a while ago, I remember this. We used to kind of have a bit of a rule around minimum block sizes. Then we discovered that there was a whole area where the minimum block sizes were smaller than what our minimum, uh, the average block size was smaller than our minimum, and it was a, like a crazy good area to invest. And we we're like, yeah, we're oh, knocking them out. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. Why are we doing that? And as a result of letting that go and realizing that quality had to be relative to the lo- to the locality, we were able to unlock tons of value for our clients. So it's really important to think about this because a lot of people will say things like quality and what they, in their mind's eye, they think new, new means quality. But that's, that's also not necessarily true. So defining quality, I think, is really, really useful. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And the the assets the the selection process is is really really key in making sure we again are reducing risk because that, that sort of all is relatively connected um, acquisitions a quality buying process as well so a lot of this comes into favorable contract conditions so making sure that uh, we get vacant possession we get access from unconditional. Uh, we potentially could have, you know, a few sentences in our special conditions that can really benefit clients and really start kickstarting their portfolio. So a great example of this is having, um, being able to utilize the photos for sale for the purpose of rent. So that's a special condition that we put into a lot of our contract offers. Now, we don't always get them through. They sometimes get knocked back, but hey, at least we ask the question. And at least we're putting our clients in the best possible possible seat that they can be to for the aim and the goal to secure the best tenancy we can so if we can you if the property is on market and there's great sales photos we put this in our special conditions that we can use those photos to advertise the property for rent and we also get authority to advertise the property for rent um, from the date of or the day after settlement so that can really help narrow down maybe one, two weeks of vacancy and that, you know, for example, 450 a week of rent, 900 bucks a year, giving increase your cash load by 900 bucks annually in the first year. So yes. it can help. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. There's also another way to think about this as well and because this idea of future-proofing your portfolio is something I really like because what you're actually trying to make sure you do is set yourself up to not have, excuse the language, but a fuck up later on basically, right? Pretty much. 
And and if you think about like everything you've said there about a quality buying process, like you can do all these things to maximize the 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 acquisition and make sure you're getting the kind of yeah. make sure maximizing the outcome of the acquisition. And that is true. But also if you flip that around and say, well, what would what would a potential outcome be if you had a really, you know, shoddy acquisition process? You might, for example, buy a property without doing any of the title and deed searches, for example. You might um, not check zonings. You might not. Um, so there's all this stuff that you could not do if you didn't buy, if you didn't have a really robust acquisition process, which could bite you later on. So, and and there's plenty of ways that that could that, that could come around uh, and bite you. There could be, you know, there could be covenants or caveats on the blood, on the property. One concern can't get insurance. All that. Bing, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's happened to lots of people. I've heard some pretty, pretty. Um, bad horror stories where people have bought a property and they hadn't done all the checks. And then flood, Flood's a great one because I actually heard, there's actually a couple of people that spring to mind that I know of, where they bought these properties because they were like, oh yeah, this is awesome. It's so cheap and the it's yield's really high. It's always a reason. <laughs> yeah, and the, the yields, oh, the yield's so high, you know, it's so good. And then and then it's like in a freaking flood zone and they can't insure it. Like, yeah, can't get insurance. Not even pay a premium for it. Can't get insurance. Yeah, it's like, well, that's not exactly future-proofing your portfolio, right? So, I agree that having a really, you know, quality acquisition process to select to select good assets is 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 key. And additional to that as well is asset selection is is crucial because at some point in time you're going to have an exit strategy on that property. So if you can't get insurance or you've bought a unit that's under fifty square meters and you, you know you you're going to get stuck on the back end when you pull the trigger to sell it. So. All of this preempting and bringing all of this to the front side of it, and that's why our analyst team do a incredible job at finding the best possible properties because we have all of this knowledge in the back end to only buy the best of the best. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't think about the exit strategy on the selection process, and that is pretty key. Yeah, that's yeah, that is that is that is really really important as well. So. Okay, so if people have listened to this, they're going, okay, cool, I've got to diversify. So I've got to buy more than one property, I've got to make sure I'm diversifying by property type, by geography, by strategy, get get the right mix. I've got to make sure I'm buying a quality asset that's quality based on uh, what the local market wants, that's quality based on my exit strategy, and I've got a quality acquisition process. I'm buying a quality asset in a quality way. Uh, what else? What's the kind of like next line of thinking in uh, future-proofing your portfolio? So the next one, which does tie into potentially being able to increase your cash flow as well in your portfolio, but the next one is improving quality. So value adds, essentially. So, And this is probably the one that people are most familiar with because it's probably the most strategy people do, really. I mean, I'm doing it myself at the moment. So uh, it, it's value adds. So adding value to the property and, you know, some people just automatically default to, cool, I'm going to put a granny flat in the backyard. Well, no, because that's going to cost you 180 grand. You can't get a loan against it. I'd rather buy another house for you or another two houses for you. So that it's looking at ways to improve quality and it can be something really minor. It can be a new vanity in the bathroom and you don't move the plumbing. Like stuff like that can just make it look better or I actually had a great example of this. Um, it was a re- it was a property built seventies. Um, you know, we had the brick arches and everything going on, uh, which is actually coming back now, which is interesting. Uh, but the kitchen was just basic. It had like really that fake melamine, fake wood cabinetry, like orange tiles. And I was like, this is this is great because you know all you have to do is paint the tiles. You 
get an air tasker, lean on your property manager. You can get do heaps of stuff to easily visually improve the property. It's going to photograph better. You're probably going to get more people at the rental open. That means it's going to generate interest. People then are going to put in their applications faster because they think there's competition. There's so many sort of additional elements that that can come from just real minor stuff. And don't be afraid of doing some real minor stuff either. That's that's really key. Totally. And it's yeah, I think it's uh it's so interesting, right? Because you're right, a lot of people think of value they think of major projects. I'm gonna build a granny flat, I'm gonna subdivide and build, I'm gonna do all of these kind of things, which ostensibly may be a good idea, but also it might not, you know, because You've also got to you also got to look at what are the what what's the local appetite for that kind of a product. I remember I was looking at um, developing uh, a property that we've got in Geelong, and go to council would be a nightmare. Yeah, 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 yeah. All all of that kind of stuff is the reason we still haven't done it. By the way, but 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 the point was I was looking to like maximally intensify it. I was like, right, what's the maximal? Let's two story townhouses. Let's like let's cram everything on there that we can get on on them. Yeah. And the problem going through that process, I was also talking to local real estate agents to get a sense of uh, the, whether it would be whether there would be product market fit. And what I basically found out was that if we built the thing that I thought was going to give us the um, the maximal kind of uh, you know coverage on the site, probably would have had the least amount of market demand because nobody would have wanted it, right? And so you've also got to think, does it? And, and you know, if you're in South Australia or in Adelaide, building a granny flat. Sounds great. There's plenty of properties you could buy to build a granny flat on it, except you're only allowed to rent it to a direct family member. Well, unless unless something's changed. Well, sure. So yeah. you've yeah. So so you've got to be really careful in thinking through the value adds in such a way that they are a genuine value add. And uh, I know we're going to talk about uh, timing of value adds uh, in a moment, or we, it might actually be a, re- a relevant segue to that because one of the one of the most interesting things that I see people do is they do uh, improvements around their home, for example, and they think that that is adding value. But value doesn't actually get, you know, created until there's a crystallization event, you know. So if you add an air conditioner to your property, right, that's, you know, ostensibly good, right? But if you five years later or 10 years later go and do a refinance, guess what? The air conditioner doesn't matter, right? So, so thinking through the value adds in a way that you're actually going to get the right return, and back to your kind of point uh, a minute ago, cosmetic renovations are typically going to give you the best bang for your buck. So if you find a property that looks shit, you know, I, I look at it. You're not going to buy yeah. it. You're going to rent it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like if it looks if it looks pretty average, but it's a great property in a like in the right place or whatever. And all you need to do is change the way it looks and feels. That's typically where you're going to get the biggest bang for buck. You know. You yeah, know, visual, paint, paint, yeah, cosmetic stuff, yeah. Yeah, the, the cosmetic, the visual value adds are the best way to go. Like, you're not going to get more rent per week for a new roof. Like, you know, it might it might transit it might transition to a higher value. I'd probably arguably say it's going to doubt that, but yeah, you know, if it did, it'd be dollar like, for dollar. If it did, it'd be dollar for dollar. It'd be like okay, twenty thousand dollars of additional roof, twenty thousand dollars of additional value, maybe, maybe. But it, it's not going to be a, a marginal significance. But also, it, it's the best way to think about a visual sort of update, ascension, and adding quality to a property is okay. Well, I need to the money I spend. I want to get that back. At least get that back in growth. Like if I've spent ten grand, I want it to at least be worth another ten grand. At least 
um, and also result in an uplifting rent as well because then why do it? And But sometimes that's also the answer. Like if it's not going to result in either of those things, I'd rather deploy your cash to the next purchase. So leaning on your team around you, your property manager is the best person to chat to about that. They're on the ground. They know, hey, tenants don't care about this. They just want to find four-bedroom homes because they're really hard to find at the moment or whatever it might be. Um, lean on them because a lot of people, and I'm going to talk about this later, but a lot of people are fearful of contacting their property manager, which I don't know why. Like you should have a really good rapport with them and they're on the ground. You pay them a management fee. This is their job. Yeah, 100%. Like if you're paying them to do the work and they're not allowing them to do the work, what's the point? Correct. What's the point? Or providing so- you good guidance on, um, yeah, on, on what you want to do next. But and uh, the benefit as well with Dashdot is we are your team forever. So if you ever have a question, you just, you know, jump on and, and ask a question, give us a call or whatever it might be. Um, but some some clients go, oh, I've, the property's rented for 600. My property manager thinks I can get 610 now. What do you think? And I'm like, 610? I'm like, go back at 640. Like, what are you doing? Like, really just ask the question because I can tell you, I'm about to move house in a few weeks and it is a nightmare. <laughs> so for an extra 30 bucks a week that you might, you know, or the tenant can say no and then counter and have that conversation. You know, there's, don't be fearful of that. That's, that's really important. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a really good point. You want to keep tenants for life, but you shouldn't be scared of, you know, of, of managing the risk. Talk to me about timing though. Talk to me about timing evaluates because that's a real key consideration in this whole value adding thing. And another really key point on future proofing your portfolio, because, you know, if you just buy a property and then, you know, as I kind of mentioned a moment ago, if you do, if you add value and then do nothing about it for five years, have you really even added value? How do you think about, how do you think about value adds as it relates to timing, as it relates to future-proofing your portfolio? How do you think about that? So timing value adds is, yeah, pretty critical. So if you're, I'll just use an example, which I've got, um, put purchased the property for some awesome clients um, and we wanting we wanted to do a, a value add. We wanted to put around fifteen grand of work into the property. We it was a bit basic, um, and we only had a very narrow window in order to do that. So they were like, right, we, this is a growth focused asset. We want to milk as much out of this as we possibly can. We're going to refinance in about six months' time. So what can we do now in order to make sure that we can? be in the best position possible when we do the rebal and refinance and so forth. So timing value adds is really important. You obviously can't go and paint a property six months into a 12-month tenancy because it's far too much tenant disruption. Um, and some tenants would then request compensated or lower rent per week or whatever that might be. So you want as least tenant disruption as possible. So timing is really critical. And if you're going to this, – this particular property was a growth-focused asset – um, and we're like, right, let's be very strategic on what we're going to do here. Um, and it, and it was a great result. And I can go through some of the information, like some of the numbers here, because it's just be, go, go through it. I think it'd be it, useful for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Go through it. Yeah. Pretty nuts. So with this particular property, we bought it for four, 440. It came, it had a tenancy in place. It was a periodic tenancy at 400 a week, which was well below market rent that what we were wanting to inherit. So we actually, um, were seeking a vacant possession. The tenants were happy to move. They were like, look, we don't really care. We're, it's all good. We can't pay that. So it, it is what it is. So we got vacant possession. We settled on the property 12 weeks later 
we secured a tenancy for five seventy a week. And during that during that three month time frame, we did about a fifteen k. I budgeted fifteen k, came in at about seventeen five hundred, so a little bit above budget. Um, but for that uplift, we were able to achieve five seventy a week in rent, which we actually budgeted five fifty. So that was pretty good. Um, and we also, which is this is the absolute like the best in terms of value. We bought it for four forty, and it got valued for four eighty five. 12 weeks later. Wow. So $17,500 of spend created $45,000 of value. Is that a fair fair statement? Correct. Plus the increase in rent as well. Yeah. So it's almost three to $1 return. Obviously, some of that would be market growth as well. So even if you were just, even if you were uh, conservative, you're still going to get a two to $1 uh, return, two to one return on your on the money spent on the value add. Plus, the increase in rent. So, and just to kind of recap on that. So, did you say it was four hundred dollars at purchase, and then five? Seven, what was the? So, four hundred was under market value. So, we actually had four four fifty as market value rent. So, if we did nothing, we get four fifty a week, easy. Um, the 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 benefit of this particular example is these clients. We actually came in under budget from what we originally planned to spend. So we had around 20 grand left over. So for 20 grand, we couldn't buy another property. And they they already were had certain um, great, you know, very healthy savings rate in place that was already mapped out for them for their next purchase. So they're like, well, what do we do with this extra cash? Put in, you could whack it in your offset, happy days, or you could actually put it to work, which provided a significant uplift in value on the property in a very small amount of time. It's like a nine, just over a nine percent growth in 12 weeks, three months, and also allowed um, allowed us to increase their gross yield from about 5.3 out of 4.50 per week, which is what it was if we just left the property as is, um, to 6.7 by spending the 17 and a half. That's hectic. That's insane. That's awesome. That is so good. That is such a, such a good example. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, not everyone is in this position. These particular clients were in this position and they were wanting to really lean into the process. And this sort of comes into sort of the main fundamentals of the the best way to future-proof your portfolio is to have a plan. You have to have a plan. You have to have a budget. We were under budget. We explored options to be able to execute really successfully um, and to have a good team. Like they, they had to project manage this. This didn't, this wasn't free. Like this was this took hours to to do, and they're East Coast based, and this particular property was in Perth. So, it's it's management, it's leaning into the process, it's utilizing the team. We passed them on to a really good property manager that was really proactive. They built a good relationship with them. Um, so it just it really worked. Now, if you're in this position, it's a great option to explore, but it's only because it can result in the uplift in growth and also the uplift in rental income. But you have to speak to your property manager if this is even the best way to go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, your property manager is the best resource when you think about coming, when you're thinking about adding value and what's actually going to matter in that market. They're such a good resource. I I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and think about the future a little bit more uh, because one of the potentially biggest mistakes that I think investors make is not actually taking care of their portfolio. You've talked about the importance of a property manager, uh, a lot, uh, you know, several times already. But you know, a lot of property investors 
tend to not want to spend any money on their properties. So I would love to get your take on that and how that relates to, you know, future risk in the portfolio. Do you want to talk to that? So maintaining quality is really what's important in a portfolio. And again, we have an exit strategy at some point in time. You will be selling this property, highly likely if it's a growth-focused asset, we've factored in a sell down five, 10, whatever years down the track. So investing in like repairs and maintenance is really important. And yeah, most people don't like spending money on their properties, but I can tell you, I I read building and pest reports every single day. My entire team are always reading building and pest reports. I love our inspectors. They're they're awesome people to work for, work with, sorry. Um, And they can say like, when we're buying a property, they'll go, hey, this is bloody good. Do not let this go. This has been really well maintained. You've been, I'd buy it myself. Like that's the best outcome we can get. And it's because these people have put money into their properties. They've They've not been afraid of repairs and maintenance. Now, caveat that, you know, obviously to an extent, you know, there's always exceptions to the, you know, the, the method of this, but don't be afraid of it because it does pay off in the end. And, you know, you can overcapitalize. You can go to the complete other realm of this, which we have had a client before going, I want to be the best landlord I can be, which is awesome, which is a great way to be. But, you don't need to put all new air cons and new kitchen cabinets in your house. <laughs> like they're all good. Yeah, you know, you don't you you don't need to go, you know, oh the tenant wants a spa. Okay, I'll pay yeah, for spa. Yeah, like yeah. but Correct. I think I think showing your tenants that you care Correct. and care, care enough care enough for them to have a good quality of existence, I think is really, really important. And you're right, it does pay massive dividends on term. Not only does it stop your your building, your the property that you bought, falling into disrepair because you know stitching time saves nine and all that kind of stuff. If you prevent decay of your property, it's a lot cheaper in the long run than it is to fix massive problems right, later on at the end. So there's that. So it makes more sense to keep it in good nick along the way. But in doing so, you will attract continuously a better quality of tenant, or you will retain a better quality of tenant. And also, if you are going to get a, a, a valuation done on your property, and if it's not a desktop valuation, and if the valuer goes out to do a to do a, a full uh, value or a, or a curbside or whatever, they're going to look at the property, and if it looks well taken care of, it's going to get a better valuation than something that looks like it's falling down, and you know it's only it's only worth the title the, the title that it's got. And I think it's I think it's really really important. Like that's the way that Gabby and I think about our properties. You know the tenants. It's like okay, the the you know the, the windows are missing fly screens. Okay, cool. Let's get fly screens. Uh, the you know there's, a, there's a leak something with the yeah, be proactive. Yeah, yeah, proactive and not reactive is probably the best way to go with maintenance because yeah, you need to invest in your property. Like investors that think, oh look, I just want to buy a property and I don't want anything. I don't want any maintenance. I want nothing to do and I don't want to. Be- yeah, maybe buy gold bars and put them under your bed. Maybe property isn't for you. This is, you know, part of your responsibility as a landlord is to make sure that you have a safe, habitable space for someone to live in and it's the tenant's home. And guess what? You don't have a property, an active property portfolio if you don't have tenants. You mentioned something there, being proactive and not reactive, and I think that's worth double-clicking on a little bit because being reactive is if the tenants ask for something, you respond, okay? Correct. Being proactive 
is getting the property manager to go through the property from top to bottom and create a list of all the work that may need to be done and then and then and then like attacking that all in one go. Now there's a real massive benefit to that. It's actually heaps cheaper. Because if you call if you get a handyman or whatever to go out to the property every time there's one little thing, you're gonna be getting call out fees every single time they go out there. But if you get it all done in one go, you're gonna get a better price for the overall work. And so that actually is a really good way to save money is to get ahead of the game and go, all right, what's all the stuff? Let's let's what how much budget have I got? How many things can we tick off there? Let's let's go at it and let's try and get as much stuff done as possible. It's actually gonna be cheaper and better in the long run. Mm, yeah, couldn't agree more. And yeah, and again, that is part of your property manager's that's their job. Like their job is to make it as seamless for you as possible. Mm, so yeah. yeah, tenant retention is a huge one. And and vacancies can really, really hurt a portfolio. Like if you've got a property that's vacant for a few weeks or a few months, and we've all been so used to this fast paced rental growth, like rental obviously we have a housing shortage, so we've no one's really experienced that. And that could happen. I'm not saying it is going to, but it could. And you need to, um, you know, and also tenants could, is also someone that might want to buy your house as well. So really think about things in a more of a pragmatic way than just, oh, the tenants are annoying because the tap's leaking or something. Mm, I love that. Love that. So just to recap, five key ways to future-proof your property portfolio. Diversification, tick. Buying quality assets and using having a quality acquisition process, right? So understanding what quality represents uh, and also how to buy it in the right way. Tick value adding, but making sure you're adding the right things in the right way at the right time. So value add timing. Tick tick, and maintaining your portfolio so that I've actually got a good quality asset long term. Otherwise, it's just going to fall into disrepair, and the value is going to fall out the bottom of it. Value in all kinds of different ways. Value in the rents. Value in the in the actual valuation of the property. All that kind of stuff. Lana, I think we've covered a lot of really good ground here. How do you feel about this? Good. I hope. Look, I hope it can help people with either their existing portfolio or help them in how to think about approaching creating a portfolio as well. Um, but also, if people, you know, if they do have existing assets that aren't going to get them to their goals, that's cool. We can fix it. It's not a problem. You just have to really be able to lean in and be approachable on the topic as well. So, if it's helpful for for anyone out. And I I think it's useful for people to be thinking like this, to not just be thinking about the dopamine hit of like, what do I do today? But also, how do I think about, you know, building a portfolio that's going to last the distance? Lana, uh, as always, I enjoyed our time together. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always a pleasure to get to spend some time with you. So thanks. It's been a real joy. Uh, For those of you who are listening to this, if you found value in this and you can think of anyone else who you think will get value in this, make sure you share that with them. Share it with a friend, family member, or a loved one. And of course, whatever platform you're on, make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, click all the buttons, do all of the stuff, and make sure you don't miss out on the next episode, which will be coming up next week. And until then, stay awesome, stay powerful. We'll see you soon.